0: Hi, this is Laura. Um, uh, welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person excited about community gardens. Um, the Biden administration has launched a People's Garden Initiative, and on Saturday, September 24th, there's going to be a free event in North Minneapolis to celebrate People's Gardens, and that's what we're talking about today. And in studio with me is Rashawn Jeffrey and um, Michael Cheney with Project Sweetie Pie. Welcome, welcome to Food Freedom Radio.
1: Thank you for having us. Yeah, Thanks be
0: here. It's great. Okay, so uh, let's start just by telling us a little bit about yourself, um, Michael. Well, well I know you've been on the show several I, times, and
1: of, I mean, I'm kind of <laughs> fill in, right? I'm a like hamburger helper. You know, whenever you need a program, you know, Michael, he's a big mouth. He's he's willing to come and talk mess.
0: Yeah, he's an elder, and he's 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 been doing such awesome work.
1: Well, I'm blushing. Thank you. <laughs> Um, Well, you know, we've been Project Sweetie Pie. Uh, North Minneapolis is going green. Give us a call and learn what we mean. Where once lie urban blight, now sits luscious garden sites. Gardens without borders, classrooms without walls. Architects of our own destinies. Access to food, justice for all. And now, like sweet potato vines, our missions and goals all intertwine. Laura, it is a decade Since we first met, Mm -hmm. where has the time gone?
0: Well, and, yeah, I mean, sometimes I feel um, kind of frustrated because – it feels like um, progress is not coming as fast as that optimistic Laura. You, when we, when you and I were first talking 10 years when ago. When we were
1: once young. <laughs> when
0: we were once young. I thought we'd be done with all these problems now, and it seems like they're getting bigger. <laughs> but, but I love the image of that poetry that you just said, and I still believe that that is what the future holds, because we're going to make it hold that,
1: right? Well, I say that the urban farm, and I never talk about urban farming in singularity. I always talk about it as a coin. A coin has two sides, heads and tails, yin and yang, you know, and so I always talk about it as urban farming, local food production, because we're not just talking about food access, of course, food justice. Those are great, phenomenal visions and aspirations, but none of that will mean anything if we don't at the same time think in terms and plan and define and design economic development for marginalized communities, residents who have been left off from the table.
0: And I think there's um, one thing that has changed in the last 10 years since we first talked is um, a growing understanding on nutrition, that our nut- the tr- nutrition of humans is related to the nutrition in the soil. Um, so I had uh, David Montgomery and Anne Blaquet and they had a book called What You Food Ate. And there's like 50,000 phytochemicals. And so to eat from living soils is crucial for our health and well-being. And that's not the industrial system where most people get their food. That's not the cheap food system.
1: Right. Yeah, we're growing good, right? You know, we're growing good food. We're growing good schools. We're growing good families. We're growing good soil. You know, we're growing good economies. You know, the list can go. We're growing friendship. We're growing community. You know, it's, It's hard enough just to grow food, but it's harder to grow the next generation of conscious, you know, growers of food. You know, it's hard to grow, you know, resources to support those growers in those gardens. And so we can't just approach this as, you know, a singular kind of a linear approach. This is the kind of the convergence of a lot of philosophies, a lot of folks. So we really need to bring, you know, Project Sweetie Pie, we we claim it point it this way. The story of a community that came together, worked together for the common good of the youth and families of its community, for it takes a village to raise a child. And so we're growing good in the neighborhood. And so that's really important that we bring all of the players together. You know, the folks who are in agriculture, the educators, the health practitioners, the mom and dad, you know, the single mother who lives on that block. She has a voice. She she has value, and she is in, is, is imp- uh, imperative that we bring her to these conversations.
0: Awesome. And so, um, Roshan Jeffrey, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what brings you to this work. So I'm a public
2: affairs specialist with the Natural Resources Conservation Service, and uh, our office is in downtown St. Paul. Uh, what brings me to this work is the importance of agriculture in the United States, um, and I do, the one thing I do like about the People's Garden and the Urban Agriculture Initiative is the fact is we're bringing agriculture into the cities where most people didn't know how to grow food. And with COVID kind of amplifying the fact that we have a lack of food growing in the urban areas, and it's all grown outside of the urban environment, those food deserts were made known. And people finally realized that yes, we need to grow food in the urban environments and the people within the urban environments need to know how to grow food.
0: Especially um, a lot of people are experiencing stress because inflation went up and the price of food went up. Um, But in my garden, it's kind of like an inflation-free zone, right? I mean, these things are natural gifts of of life and and of the soil. And so um, having food nearby that you can just Mm -hmm. gather in community, that's our birthright.
1: Well, and it's not just about the food and what food does, but let's not forget, uh, forget about the medicinal value of food. Let's not th- forget about the therapeutic value of growing your food, of getting outdoors in nature. A big part of the People's uh, uh, garden initiative, which is why we're all here here today to talk about the People's uh, Garden initiative, is, is that it also is uh, conscious about growing bee habitat. You know, so that because the bees are endangered. And if bees fail, we, the gardens fail, we fail. And so it's, it's important from a, a permaculture perspective that we really think about the vastness of, and the interrelationship between all of us as human beings, right? We're all in this together. If the planet fails, we are looking at a planet in peril. And so it's not just about food and the growing of food. It's about regenerative practices. It's about addressing global warming, climate change. And those are critical issues that if we're going to survive as a species, you know, it's not just about am I going to get a meal this afternoon or, you know, what am I going to eat next week? It's really talking about how do we change our practices because we've been at odds with nature from the beginning of time.
0: Yeah, yeah. How, how do we work in, um, in humility with, with the land and in honor and in each honor- other? And, and each other. And each other, yes, exactly. So there's going to be an event, and at this event people can um, stop by and see your garden directly. So tell us about the event on Saturday, September 24th.
1: Well, this is actually the launching here locally uh, of the People's Garden Initiative Um Um, we are, uh, I'll let Sean talk about the, the large picture, but on the local level, you know, again, I'm an activist organizer, been, you know, doing growing of food and growing of, you know, the food movement for since 19, uh, when it was, I can't even remember what year it was, 84, I guess, when we first started, you know, uh, doing a lot of organizing, but in 2010 is when North High came under attack. So this is kind of the evolution, kind of the, of where we're working on a food forest. Ask me what a food forest is. What is
0: a food forest?
1: <laughs> well, see, I'm glad you asked. A food forest, again, is, a, is is again, to uh, the point that most people don't really know where their food comes from. You know, as I work with students at North High and other places, you ask young people, well, where, where, where do you get your food from? So I say, well, what would happen if Cub Food closed down tomorrow? And they say, well, we'd go to the corner store or (laughs) we'd go to Aldi's. And I say, no, that's not the way it works. I said, because all of those places get their food either from Cub or even larger distributors, super value. And so it's important. We're talking about genocide, Wars are one fought and won over food supply. And so again, to the point of COVID, we really started realizing that, again, we're not just talking about food insecurity, we're talking about national sh- security and national food supply chains. And so it's important and critical that we localize that in the the event that, you know, peak oil ends, and which we know it will, and global warming, all of these phenomenal uh, earth events that we're all going to be victimized by, it's important that we start thinking about how will I live through that peril.
0: Yeah, and as we do, we create a different system. You know, um, and we have, that, we have that ability to make those choices. Now so if people want to come see your garden, um, that's on Saturday, September 24th, from noon to 5, 2210 Emerson. So tell us about what's going on um, on Saturday.
1: Well, it starts uh, um, the ev- actual celebration. This event is um, imagine, if you will, and, and some people probably can, but a, a Amish barn build where we come together, the village of North Minneapolis comes together as a community to really uh, address food insecurity and global warming, etc. And so we've got all these great sponsors. Uh, NRCS is the primary sponsor because this is the launch of their initiative, and with that comes federal funding. But we've got the Minnesota Department of Agriculture. We have... Uh, um, in fact, Tom Peterson, who is the commissioner of ag for the state of Minnesota, he will be one of the speakers, uh, keynote speakers, and he'll be there about 1 p.m. But we'll start the day with service projects, you know, where, you know, back in the day in the Amish community, the whole, the whole village would come together. You know, they'd help a, one of the kids or something just got married, and they'd raise a barn, and all the neighbors would come to chip in to help, you know, relieve that labor, and then they'd have a meal. And so this is, again, replicating that, mimicking that, where we want to bring people together so that they can learn more about NRCS and the great work over there, you know, that's going on with Rasan and his, and his organization, learn more about how they can start their own people's garden and see that we're only a small little mite in the whole world of mighty.
0: <laughs> so um, so that's September 24th, so today, later today, from 12 to 5. But if you want to participate earlier, you can. Um, but that address is 2210 Emerson Avenue, North Minneapolis, Celestial Gardens. We're going to take a break. We're going to talk more about people's gardens and how to spread this across the country. And that's, that's what we're working on together because people's gardens help soil. They help pollinators. They help each other about being a part of a living world. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, The Progressive Voice in Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund and in studio with us is uh, Michael Cheney with Project Sweetie Pie and Rashawn Jeffrey. And um, so we're talking about people's gardens. So tell us, uh, Rashawn, again, what is the agency you're with and how is it involved and what's this concept of people's gardens?
2: Yeah, So I'm with the uh, Natural Resources Conservation Service uh, formerly known as the Soil Conservation Service and essentially um, we were founded by Hugh Hammond Bennett during the Dust Bowl and uh, he was trying to figure out a way to bring this keep the soil on the earth uh, and instead of flying away in tornadoes and wind um, that essentially caused a, a major major migration and a major lack of food um, but we still continue the process of trying to keep the soil on the land I mean and here in Minnesota we're trying to keep the soil on the farms and not down the Gulf of the Mississippi or the Gulf of Mexico
0: so that dust bowl of course contributed to the Great Depression and um, it was um, how the farmers were um, working the land that Caused that incredible problem with soil erosion that created the dust bowl.
2: Yeah, I would I would have to say uh, it was just a lack of education and and not knowing. Um, so Hugh Hammond Bennett uh, went out there to work hand in hand with the farmers, uh, and they devised plans to keep the soil <laughs> uh, right where it's supposed to be. Uh, it, it took took some time, but he was able to do it
0: yeah and um and what we can learn from that now so so what's what is going on with the people's Gardens? It's a national effort, so tell me about that
2: yeah it's a segue into the people's gardens so originally it was an initiative uh launched in two thousand nine so it's named for the people's department uh so former president abraham lincoln uh his nickname for u s d a which was established during his presidency in eighteen sixty two so uh it it's part 1862. of
0: eighteen sixty two so we're talking about a long time ago this this history is not this uh, the People's Gardens is not really a new concept,
2: huh? Uh, so, I mean, it was, it was named for the People's Department, so it was named after. But uh, I guess the concept of um, essentially having the initiative um, has always been there. Um, and, but essentially, uh, it's part of the USDA's broader, broader efforts to advance equity, um, support local and regional food systems and access to food, and encourage use of conservation and climate-smart practices. Um, so it empowers communities to participate in local food production and provide diversity, diversity, and resiliency to the food supply chain.
0: So, um, so um, it's now being launched. There's 17 um, of these people gardens in the country right now.
2: Yes, that's correct. So, with the initial launch, there were 17 cities within the U.S. Uh, that were launching, and we're also opening opening up to uh, add more people's gardens. Um, so. If if you guys want, if whoever whoever's listening, if you guys are interested, um, I'll plug the information a little bit later on.
0: I'm plug it um, right now, so I oh, can yeah, that. yeah, yeah sure. why not? Um, so know, I've been doing a community garden actually since 2010, and it is um, it is such a wonderful place to be. And you know, I think I when I first did, did the community garden, I was like, yeah, I gotta get food in case the whole system collapses. I better have food. You know, I have that that fear kind of motivating, but After being in there and being in community, it's really about love, not just about fear of the food system, but it's about how to grow and be in relationship and and feed our bodies in a way that's healthy and nutritional and nourishing um, in a community, in a whole.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I feel like as Americans, we've kind of stepped away from that community thing and we focus on individuality and doing our own thing so when you bring that community garden aspect in, uh, you're working with each other, working with other cultures, different types of people you might have normally not uh, have associated yourself with. Um, you get to uh, put yourself in their shoes because you're all doing the same thing. You're all gardening. Uh, and the the language of gardening is the same. You can speak different languages. But when you're in there, in that garden, working with other people, you kind of build that bond uh, and – That's what I feel that that we're trying to do. We're trying to bring that bond to these urban communities. Um, But to plug in how to register, so you can just go to USDA.glove forward slash People's Garden to search more information on that. Um, So for all those who are interested, definitely check out USDA.gov slash People's Garden.
0: So Rashaun Jeffrey, um, I really appreciate the phrase you just said, the language of gardening. Do you want to – Uh, Kind of riff on that. What what do you think that language of gardening? I I like that phrase because I think there's something.
1: Well, I can can only go back even further in time, you know, to Cicero, who, you know, that famous quote where he says, the only thing that a man needs is a garden and a library. (laughs) You know, and I take it back even to the very origin of man, that if this cosmology, the story of, you know, of the Garden of Eden, if it, if that was when we it all became kind of dismantled, then let's become let's see ourselves as spiritual time travelers, and let's tr- let's transcend you know back and let's come forward in unity because you know that's really what's missing in the community is the unity the you know, to set aside the individualism to really even community gardens we even go further than community gardens we call them communal gardens. Because it's not just about feeding. In fact, many oftentimes community gardens, I think, really lose sight of its origins. You know that you know you have people who are homeowners who now don't want to p- destroy the you know sovereignty of their backyard, their lovely lawn. So they come to community gardens to have take even on more additional land mm-hmm. or tenure. Instead of us really thinking about that it's not about me, it's about, you know, are we our brother's keeper? And my response would be, by all means we are. You know, that we are, if we had more of an indigenous worldview like the Native Americans, where we think in terms of times of seven generations that this is work that we're doing isn't about me. You know, sure, I can feed myself. I have some skills. I know how to grow my food. But what's really incumbent, as I see as the legacy of body of work that I'm doing, is, is that it's critical that we give those skills to our young people, that we give them a platform, that we re- let them realize that, you know, one of my favorite sayings I like to say is, if you haven't, don't know anything about husbandry, you can't know anything about humanity. You know, because as a child, a farm kid, a farm kid in the house, you know, uh, who it didn't matter. My father, we had seven kids. It didn't matter if we ate breakfast, but you damn well better get out there and feed those cows. You know, you better go out there and slop those pigs because they were your livelihood. That was your lifeblood. And they came before you. you. You were just servants of the of the pigs. And so that's the kind of, you know, worldview that I think it's critical that we all recognize and realize that we are all just, you know, extensions of man and that we're here but a brief moment but our job is not to accumulate mass wealth but we are shepherds of knowledge and we are shepherds of information we're shepherds of wisdom and it's our job as interim stewards of the earth we're all stewards and it's important that were we good stewards or were we poor stewards and it's critical that we make sure that the next generation of humans that they understand this mammoth task that we have as humans and that is to continue the race the human race and to continue to uh, make good on our promise to be our brother's keeper
0: in a joyful way it's joyful work it's not like it's a big bummer work to do this it's part of of living in, in, is this part of our birthright and it's part of living? So we're taking a break and we're talking about people's gardens. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headline, and on today's show, we're talking about people's gardens. And uh, in the studio with us is Michael Cheney with Project Sweetie Pie, and Roshan Jeffrey with um, NRCS. So, um, Roshan, tell us again what is um, NRCS?
2: So it's the Natural Resources Conservation Service. Um, so, essentially, we give financial and technical assistance to farmers. Um, In the past, it was mostly rural farmers, um, but now we're bringing it to the urban communities. And I'll have a definition of what is urban ag right here. So urban agriculture includes the cultivation, processing, and distribution of agricultural products in urban and suburban areas. So that includes community gardens, rooftop farms, hydroponics, aeroponics, and aquaponic facilities, and vertical production. These are all examples of, of urban agriculture, and we're trying to reach those populations um, with our financial and technical assistance, um, which, is, which is pretty awesome. So, I mean, right now we have an agri- agriculture and innovative production that we're just working on pushing to the urban environments.
1: Yeah, A my, my little point. interesting story. You know, um, it was probably about six years ago or so that I approached the Minnesota Department of Agriculture with the idea of creating a fund to support urban farming, and it was a real uh, sludge up the hill. Uh, in fact, I remember Representative uh, Pope, who was from down in the Rochester area, and she was the head of the Ag Committee, and she, we went to meet with her, and she says, Well, what is urban agriculture? You have to educate us. We said, well, urban ag is ag in urban communities. Well, that wasn't good enough because, you know, we were a motley crew of, you know, because <laughs> we were colored. What would we know? And, you know, they she, we were in the sacred halls of agriculture, and they certainly had to know far more than we did. But they went on, and we pushed on. And we pushed on. It took us about two, three years to finally get some mo- motion in the ocean. And finally they said, well, we're going to – they had appropriated some money to do a study, a statewide study. What is urban farming? $250,000 later, they came back. Urban farming is farming in urban areas.
0: <laughs> you, you got your answer. <laughs> so – but a lot of the government resources um, have been going to certain communities. I know there's a lot of criticism too because a lot of our public dollars have been going to very large entities. And so you have this the, – the current food system, you have like a concentration of wealth, um, and I know the Biden administration came in with two big goals. We've got to address the climate crisis and we've got to address the equity crisis. We don't want our children to inherit either of these viruses. Um, so so urban agriculture is at the intersection of both of those.
2: Yeah. Ur- urban agriculture definitely is at the intersection because it, uh, it allows the urban communities um, to get into that that farming agriculture mindset and also receive funding from the government, which is equally as important when they weren 't able to receive it in the past
0: so yeah
1: well i mean I mean even beyond that i mean we 're looking at you know. Four hundred years of inequity of you know uh, white supremacy. Do I dare say that on radio? You know sure. where funding, if you will, was administered. Dollars were being dispersed. You know over our heads in urban communities, going out into rural communities, creating a lifeline, creating a fund, if you will, that raised, children were raised on, folks went to school on, and yet it left the the individuals in urban communities stand and, you know, look into the sky for help. And so we've got a long storied history of, of the Department of Agriculture really ignoring, denying, refusing to listen to urban residents when, in fact, African-Americans are, are the heart and soul of, uh, of the agriculture in this country, you know, I'm, and we've got, you know, lashes on our back to prove it. And so here, even though with the great migration from... Agricultural communities in the South, you know, coming North to live in urban settings, you know, during the industrial age, you know, in search of a better lifetime, we were pretty much left behind and left out. And in fact, um, you know, not, not received funding from the financial institutions, from the governmental institutions. And that was the whole genesis of the, uh, class action suit, you know, uh, that was, pr- Brought up during the Clinton administration and that where, you know, uh, there was money sought by folks who had been, uh, unfairly treated by the governmental agencies and ignored funding. Almost red, like redlining was. Mm-hmm. So there's been all these tools of the trade that have ignored, have just really kept us out of the economic stream and, and has had, uh, mammoth impact on our communities. And so it's almost guaranteed poverty rather than try to help lift people up and out of poverty.
0: And so one of the things is how do we correct the wrongs of the past? How do we make a brighter future for all? Because all of our destinies are intertwined. Your children and my children, we're all we're all in this together with the planet, with the soil, with the plants. And so this idea of people's gardens is – Inspirational on so many levels. Um, so, but it also uplifts a different economic model. This this urban agriculture, having agriculture. It's it's. Let, let, let's kind of go into like the three big benefits of urban agriculture. One is food resilience. We learned that in COVID, right? I mean, the foods, and especially with so much going on in the world. Um, I mean, growing food in our urban environment. It helps with an anti-fragile food system.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I feel that going alongside with the People's Garden Initiative, um, USDA is essentially uh, providing resources for urban gardens and farms. So you don't necessarily have to push for having a people's garden. If you want access to expand, operate your farm or garden and market what you grow – and help you recover in case of a disaster, we are out there offering uh, technical and financial assistance. And you can meet face-to-face with our staff at your local USD service center and discuss your vision and goals in a way that USDA can help. So we are out there to help you, and you can find your local office at farmers.gov slash service locator. So, I mean, we, we are out there to assist.
0: Okay, so do you, Farmers.gov. I guess I, I wasn't aware of that. So how can a farmer connect, and what type of resources might might they find there?
2: So you can find uh, information about loans, financial assistance, uh, free farming guidance, or you can sign up for the urban agriculture email list. So that's on Farmers.gov slash urban.
1: Um, Also, I mean, I know that they have – I've I've been working with NRCS from the very genesis of Project Sweetie Pie – one of my favorite people was the sister there that worked with, uh, and she really was a real advocate, you know, and I, that's why I'm glad to see Rasan there is because, again, if you're not at the room, if you're not in these circles, whether or not it's at the legislative session on halls or in these governmental agencies or in these philanthropic communities, if there aren't folks that look like me in, in Rasan, then oftentimes we get left out of the wheel. In fact, last year, um, I was told by three different organizations, and I'm going I'm to name names, you know, that because it was so strange. Um, you know, we were told that by Hennepin County, we were told by the Mortensen Foundation, and we were told by the McKnight Foundation when we applied for funding that they didn't see any relationship between global warming and urban farming. Mm. We were shocked. Now, I gotta, I gotta, you know, address this. Fortunately, we went back again to Hennepin County, and now they're coming with us in a big way. Uh, the last year, we had a, a Green Partners grant with them, a tree canopy grant, and so a lot of the resources that have already gone into this uh, celestial garden, i.e., the People's Garden, have come from Hennepin County. So they've addressed their disparities and their short sightedness. Um, same way with the Mortons. Foundation. We were awarded funds from them because people are really starting to, as they say, rethink your drink. You know, really is, is that it's important, especially if we look at the, on the global scale of the sustainable development goals, right? And one of the challenges, how do we bring corporations large and small? How do we bring the educational system? How do we bring the faith community all coming together as one to work on addressing the perils of global warming, climate change? And so it's shocking you know, to to hear people who are learned, far more learned and, and got more degrees than I certainly have, and be, to be told by them that we don't see any, uh, sorry, but our review panel didn't see any relationship between urban farming and global warming and addressing environmental issues. How insane, how <laughs> preposterous.
0: Well, it's also, I mean, we're, we're in silos, you know, but uh, so... I know, and going back to you and I, I'd love this. Like ten years ago, if we had chestnuts and hazelnuts and fruit trees all through our urban area, it would improve with the tree canopy. It would improve with climate change. It would provide food for people that's affordable and healthy. So, um, but we
1: don't want to do it because we don't have to I want to pick up the leftover grapes.
0: Oh yeah, they might make the roads kind of messy, right? You know what is that about i don 't know i don't want
1: to mess up my boots with all those apple <laughs> those crab apple juice
0: <laughs> i've actually heard people say that i mean it's it is it is crazy, but okay, so I want to get back and make sure we say this, these three things i mean obviously uh, growing food in urban gardens helps with the food supply Duh. Um and but second, it also teaches and you were coming on this uh, sustainable living for the future and and I think that for however long humans were on this planet, we had a connection with our food. And a lot of young people right now have no connection. And I remember something else you said a long time ago, Michael, is that there was a kid that was gardening and you said, did you like gardening? He's like, no, I don't like gardening. I love gardening. <laughs> and, you know, you get kids around a raspberry bush and it's just it – all, it all comes back. It's, it's sort of that, that, that passing on to this next generation and having that sustainability and that connection is so vital.
2: I feel uh, it's 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 human nature bringing us kind of back to our roots. And if you don't educate the public, which is one thing we're trying to do with this initiative, how will they ever know?
0: I right. Mean, if all you see is concrete, that's the only thing you see is concrete or monoculture grass that's treated with a bunch of chemicals that's causing all these problems. Uh, it's crazy. And then I mean,
1: well, I, you know, I like to say it a little differently. Can you imagine living in Chicago, in Philadelphia? Living on the 70th floor, you know, in a high rise building, growing up in that atmosphere where you can't even grow a flower, let alone grow a garden, but you're more likely probably to become an astronaut than you are to learn how to grow your own food. I mean, we've got our priorities, we have things upside down. You know, I think that every child in America ought to be able, it ought to be mandatory that they know how to grow what a seed is. They know how to plant a garden. That should be core core issue number one. F- feed thyself. Heal thyself.
0: And that connection between feeding thyself and healing, um, there's definitely one uh, connection there. Um, the third thing that this does, and I want to make sure, is it nurtures habitat for pollinators and wildlife and green space for neighbors to connect. So... Healthy, um, helping children, a resilient food system, and um, green space.
1: Saturday, September 24th, come and eat with lunches on us.
0: Lunches on you. So, so Saturday, is December 24th, which is today, um, and the address is 2210 Emerson Avenue North.
1: We'll work for food. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund and in studio with me is Michael Cheney with Project Sweetie Pie and Rasha Jeffrey with um, NRCS. And okay, so people's gardens, um, people can go on the website and look at these people's gardens um, throughout the country. So tell us a little bit about what they'd find now and a little bit more about the vision of people's gardens.
2: Yeah, so if you uh, checked out usda.gov slash people's garden, you would be able to learn all about the gardens how you can sign up and have either your school garden, community garden, or urban farm um, be recognized as a people's garden. Uh, you can learn a lot of information about how to register and about the issue of food access, uh, all these all these urban issues that we have. Um, you can learn about them and what US- USDA is doing to fix them. But if you have a school garden, community garden, or urban farm, um, and you want your project to be recognized as a people's garden, um, it needs to follow a certain criteria. Uh, There are four of them. So one is benefiting the community by providing food, beautification, wildlife habitat, or education site. And it's a collaborative effort between you and partnerships. So groups work together with USDA agencies, food banks, Girl Scouts, Master Gardeners, and conservation districts, etc., uh, and incorporate sustainable practices you don't want anything that's totally unsustainable because you 'd be just be spinning your wheels there um, and educating the public it's about sustainable gardening practices and the importance of local diverse sources of healthy food so you just you just want to make sure if you want your garden to be recognized as a people's garden you want to make sure it follows those four criteria but we're just we're just out there to make sure that it's recognized and People are able to visit it, see it, and uh, maybe bring some ideas home. Um, maybe they maybe they want a garden, maybe they've thought about it, never tried it. So I mean you you presented that opportunity for them.
0: Yeah. And so all these gardens, you can, if you're traveling and you want to see gardens in different places, um, you can go and and one of the criteria is that the, the gardens are publicly accessible. And so, Michael, you said something so cool while we were on break, is that this is Celestial Gardens, which is on 2210 Emerson, is not Project Sweetie Pie's garden, but it's a restoration of the commons. Right.
1: Um, again, you know, we as we become so siloed, you know, so territorial, so controlling, you know, as human beings, society, and and that's part of the rift, the cultural wars that we see is that we become either I got to be right, and that if I'm going to be right, that means you have to be wrong, and if you're wrong, that must mean I'm right, and so we're really trying to upset that. How do we build bridges to healthier communities? And we do that by looking out for others through community gardens, communal gardens. We do that by doing creating these food forests where we're not just growing for our personal good, but we're growing for the greater good. And these are values that I think really kind of became disrupted when we lost sight of, so I refer to the... This garden started a couple years ago. It's called the Celestial Garden, a gathering place for God's grace. The initiative is called Shared Fruit, Urban Policy, Urban Planning, Urban Forestry, Urban Farming, Urban by Design. And so when we were approached by NRCS, would we consider stewarding the people's garden? We were, of course, we were elated because that's really, we we share the same vision. We share the same goals. So it wasn't a real big leap. Last year we did this event with the financial support of Kimball Musk from the Big Green Org and Frank Justra. And so there, so we have people from small nonprofits like Project Sweetie Pie all across the country wanting to see gardens. We've got folks like Jeffrey, now who, uh, Versan, who is, you know, working to, from a governmental perspective, wants to see gardens everywhere. We've got private individuals and large nonprofits like, uh, Kimball Musk. All saying the same thing, all walking in in unison, all saying that it's a critical, it's imperative that we start to grow our own food and we start looking to the greater good if the planet is going to survive.
0: Amen. Yeah. And again, I, I, I go back to this complexity that we're learning about the food system. I mean um, – uh, and, and, it is so complex. So I'm like I'm, I'm like there's all these things I want to say, but but it's actually really simple too. And 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 um, like one of the little simple things, a Co gardener just gave me some bok choy, and it was like the best bok choy I ever had. It was just just a delicious meal, right? It just came alive in my mouth, and it's that simple act. And and again, I think that's that's sort of the way we're meant to be with each other and with the planet is our natural selves are giving and loving. And we hear so much angst and so much anxiety. And by going back to the garden, almost starting off, like what you said, return to the garden and having these public commons area where we're doing food. Not just, I mean, she didn't say, okay, I'm giving you, I'm giving you two ounces of bok choy and that's going to be 25 cents. And not that that's wrong, I'm not saying that, but, but it was something that was larger than that.
1: Well, I think we need to, you know, I've been having this argument with Susan Schmidt from the Trust for Public Land for about 10 years that right now the commons are considered libraries, parks, and schools. You know, that's where the public good is germinated, right, generated. I think that we need to actually go one step further. And let's talk about that community garden as another common space that then the government, for the people, by the people, with the people, that then that there's a revenue stream that comes to support that. And, and this is what we're seeing now through this People's Garden, that the, finally government has caught up with the will of the people, listened to the voice of the people, and is finally starting to, uh, in all in accord, that we're moving as one. You know, I always like to ask, if we're all well-intentioned, then let's be more intentional you know what is it that we want to see done because if we don't then what we're going to do is we're going to scatter and broadcast our seeds you know and not be efficient and effective and impactful and that all of this work that we've all been so earnest about doing and diligent about doing will all crumble and it'll end up like that dust bowl it'll start blowing into the sea
2: yeah like if you uh compare it to uh Dr. Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights. Okay. They had one goal, one message, and if all his followers didn't follow that same goal, we wouldn't be where we here, where we are today. I mean, you could even say the same thing about women's rights back in the 1920s. Um, you have to have that big push, that one message, or, like you said, it would just just scatter, fall apart, uh, and dissolve.
1: Well, that's one thing I also say is I say that local food production, urban farming, because I never think about them as independently, but as joined together, That is the latest iteration of the civil rights movement. You know, we shouldn't be asking Minneapolis public schools, can we get a contract? We should be demanding it because it's students of color that are the student bodies, that are the administrators. And yet here we walk around like chickens with our heads cut off. But if we took the tactics of of the 60s in the civil rights movement, right? The bus boycotts, you know, the the. the uh, uh, so we're,
0: we're down, I've got to say again, September 24th, noon to 5, food's on you, and where do people go?
1: Um, they can either come out if they want. If they got a green thumb and they want to share with someone and meet someone. They can come out at 9 o'clock and do, help set up and do some service projects, and then we're all going to reconvene at 12 for the party over here.
0: Party over here, 22 t- 2210 Emerson Avenue. Yep, yep. Uh, the people's, people's Garden. The People's Garden. So thank you so much, uh, Michael Cheney with Project Sweetie Pie, Rashawn Jeffrey with NRCS, and thank you for listening. So head out to a People's Garden. Sign up. Thank you. Thank you.